And please talk to me like I'm a moron because I kind of am. Welcome to Charlotte Mason Says. I'm John Chindell, here with my wife, Crystal. Join us as we read and discuss the home education series. All right, so this week we are talking about part three, chapter five, the laying down of lines of habit. And then we're also going to talk about chapter six, the physiology of habit. Which these were these were interesting. It took me. It definitely took me two different nights to get through reading these. Uh, the second uh, chapter, chapter six, was a little bit denser than I was able to handle the first night. I definitely fell asleep yep. reading her book. So thank you, Charlotte Mason, for putting me to sleep. Well, I took a short nap right after dinner and fell asleep to her talking. <laughs> well, the the LibriVox version of. Home education. Nice. So yeah, I was I was gonna get up for devotions. I was gonna <laughs> gonna yeah. be with you guys. You know, that's okay. These things happen. And then I wasn't. And then you were still asleep. So then chapter five, the laying down of lines of habit. She starts out here, she says, Begin it, and the thing will be completed. Is infallibly true of every mental and moral habitude. Completed not on the lines you foresee and intend, but on the lines appropriate and necessary to that particular habitude. Right, is habitude an actual word? It is. It means a habitual tendency or way of behaving. Cool. I looked it up. <laughs> I didn't even think about it until just now as I'm reading this out loud. Like, what What the heck is habitude? So the beginning and the thing will be completed is a line from Faust, the play by... Goethe. And what was very interesting was I went to the the modern edition of this that Ambleside has, and she changed that quote to one from Mary Poppins. Really? Yeah. And the same idea, you know, once you begin it, then it'll happen. What's the quote? I don't know. I didn't write it down. You have the internet. She starts it off. So the on the uh, on the Ambleside Online annotated version, she says no, not annotated, modern modern version. modern English. Those I'm are sorry. those are two different. Those are things. two different things. In the in the modern English version, they have the quote from Mary Poppins: "Well begun is half done." I need to go watch that movie again because I don't remember that line. It might not be in the movie. Oh, okay. When was the book written? Well, this was the modern version, so she might have put a modern day quote in. True. Uh, 1934, and the movie was in 1964, and then remade in 2018. But yeah, but say, didn't one just come out? 1964, yeah, it just came out with Emily Blunt. <laughs> now that we've derailed, oh, let's uh get back on the tracks. Is that derailed from the lines of habit? Is it that we are habitually? We have a Squirrel. we have a habitude Squirrel. of being derailed, Squirrel. probably. Okay, so no, that's interesting that she uses a different quote from a different thing that that is more culturally relevant to us today. Yeah, than Faust. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so uh, it it took me a sec to to read through this. 
Um, but I think it makes sense. She goes on to say, she says, whatever seed of thought or feeling you implant in a child, whether through inheritance or by early training, grows, completes itself, and begets after its kind, even as does a corporeal organism. So the the phrase unconscious cerebration is in quotes. So I, you know, looked it up. That's something that I remember her talking about at some point in Parents and Children. Mm-hmm. It goes back to Dr. Carpenter, who she gets, I, I, th- I feel like she got a, mo- a lot of her habit stuff from him. And she even mentioned him in, what was it, in the... Yeah, in the preface to the fourth edition, I beg my, I beg to acknowledge my indebtedness to Dr. Carpenter's mental physiology for the valuable teaching on the subject that happened, contained in some two or three chapters of that work. But that was a phrase coined by him. And the unconscious cerebration or latent mental modification is the precise parallel in the higher spheres of cerebral or mental activities to the movements of our limbs to the direction of those movements through our visual sense, which we put in train voluntarily when we set out on some some habitually repeated walk, but which then proceed not only automatically, but unconsciously, so long as our attention continues to be uninterruptedly diverted from them. Huh. So it's this, the unconscious cerebration is the act of, you know, getting in your car and driving to work and figuring out, oh, hey, I'm at work already. I don't remember driving here. Right. It that's that's the mental activity that takes over the physical activity. Right. Which is why you need to watch out for motorcycles. That too. <laughs> that's your PSA of the day. Yeah. Well, <laughs> when, when you're on your normal route to work, watch out for motorcycles. Well, and, I mean, that's why when you're in in Michigan, you were telling me your dad would drive to to church. Yeah. And not make the turn for church because yep. that was also his way to work. Yep. And so ha- halfway to church. Work. Yeah, halfway to church to get to to get to the city where, where our church was at. You'd have to take a left, and to continue to go to work, he would go straight. And, yeah, any number of weeks, he would just, just plow on it. through. And we'd be like, Dad, you missed it again. And he'd go, oh, right. Yeah. That's, that's what unconscious cerebration is. Mm-hmm. It's a... Uh, Going for a white, what is it, a Bilbo Baggins quote? You go for a walk and you never know where your feet are going to take you? Something like I that. I think Bilbo says something like that. I'm stepping not gonna... out your front door. It's a dangerous thing, stepping out your front door. But yeah. You, you, I don't you... think that's what this is talking about. No. No, but it is the idea that you're not thinking about walking. You're just walking. Mm-hmm. And her example is not somebody walking. Her example is a writer who just starts stream of consciousness writing mm-hmm. and where you just kind of you just kind of flow with whatever's coming and you write. And that's never happened to me. So all you writers out there, maybe you've experienced. That. Right. Or musicians who really get into the flow of. Yeah. Musicking. And so you know as far as the run of the words, the ordering of the ideas, the uh, the notations that you're you're mm-hmm. musicking. <laughs> there goes my vocabulary. Um you know it needs no revision. Yeah, you'll go back and edit, but the ideas are there. Right. Uh Brandon Sanderson talks about writing like that. That there's he he talks about writing in in two distinct ways of writing. You're either a uh a an outline writer 
or you're a narrative narration writer. And that's, that's his distinction where the outline, you, you know, you draw out an outline and then you flesh out your outline. And the more you flesh out your outline, that's, that's your story. And so you just flesh it out and flesh it out and flesh it out. Whereas the narrative writing is just that writing. Mm -hmm. And, and he, he talks about it in one of his uh, online lectures, which if you're interested in writing, Brandon Sanderson does free online lectures on YouTube. They're great. Even for those of us who aren't writers, then yes, I've watched some of them. <laughs> they had my head exploded by smart people stuff. Um, but yeah, that's something he talks about is sitting down and just writing for an extended period of time. Kind of like jogging or yogging. It's a new fad. <laughs> that's, a, that's an Anchorman quote there. I figured it was a quote. <laughs> so the philosopher who takes pleasure in observing the ways of his own mind, the mm. thinker of high thoughts, he is apt to forget that the thought which defiles the man behaves in precisely the same way as that which purifies him. The one, as the other, develop, mature, and increase after their kind. So as, as you think, so it will expand. So it will grow. Yeah. When she builds on this and she says, we think as we're accustomed to think, ideas come and go and carry on a ceaseless traffic in the rut. Let's call it. You've ugh, kills me. That's the other thing about this chapter is she keeps interrupting herself, she keeps interrupting herself. I feel like that's because she's quoting other people or she's quoting herself or she's getting cute with her writing. She or It's going it's back to the whole it, it is a lecture, but she's also still in that. Let me back up and explain to you how I got here phase right. where where she's she's expounding on her idea of what a habit does in education. And so she's going she's word vomiting and she's going, oh, wait, let me. Right. Let me tell you this. But I, I mean, I can I can hear someone orally giving this. We think as we're accustomed to think ideas come and go and carry on a ceaseless traffic in the the, the rut, let's call it. The rut that you have made for them in the very substance of the brain, like it, it's a, mm -hmm. it's a pause, a word. Uh, yeah, that word works. Let's keep going, but it's 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 hard to read through. And she says this might not even be the way you want to think. It it goes back to Paul, you know, where Paul says, "I do the things I do not want to do, and I don't do the things that I want to do." Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where you have to put up that barricade saying, no, I cannot go that way. I cannot let my thoughts, I cannot let my actions go down this road because I know what will happen. Right. And she says, you know, who can do this? Not the child, immature of will, feeble in moral power, unused to the weapons of spiritual warfare. She pulls this right out of the physical realm into the spiritual realm. Yeah, she does. Where ideas live. Yeah. Because ideas are spirit. Mm-hmm. Just a note here real quick. She hasn't gotten there yet, but Charlotte Mason has a different terminology for will than we do nowadays. When we say the strong-willed child, we're talking about somebody who... Um, thick-headed. Who's thick-headed, who throws fits, who throws tantrums. And she calls that a weak-willed child. Right. Because they cannot control their will. A strong-willed child can control their will and can be master of their thoughts and their actions she she equates strength with mastery 
Yes. Whereas we equate strength with difficultness. Yes. Difficultitude. So that that's a terminology. So when she's saying this child who's immature of will is a weak-willed child. Right, which we would refer to nowadays as a strong-willed child. It can manifest as a strong-willed child. Right. Interesting. No, that's that's a great that's a great distinction. Uh, she continues she says he depends on his parents. It rests with them to initiate the thoughts he shall think, the desires he shall cherish, the feelings he shall allow. Only to initiate, no more is permitted to them. But from this initiation will result the habits of thought and feeling which govern the man, his character, that is to say. And again, we're not raising children. No, we're not. We're, we're concerned about the man who he is becoming. Right. The character of the man that is innate in this child. Right. Which, again, I, I was I was having a conversation with someone the other day about what is Charlotte Mason, what is Charlotte Mason's philosophy and how does it differ from other education philosophies and i think that's one of the big ones is that charlotte mason looks at educating children not as children yes they're they're young right now and they're learning and they are children but she looks at them as little people yeah they're they're young adults that they're they're people that will grow into adults and so she's not concerned with them as children and giving them the well, kids will be kids, and she gets to that yeah, at we some get point into that here. Later. But that's a that's a very big distinction between Charlotte Mason philosophy and other educational philosophies is the is the ability to let children get away with things just because they're children. Mm-hmm. Well, and she goes on. You know, the kid is the child's born with tendencies, and with every tendency that they have, there's a good route and an evil route and it's the vocation of the parent the vocation the calling the work the job to put the child on the right track for the fulfillment of the possibilities inherent in him so there are all these possibilities i mean you you think about people who commit crimes the the crimes that make the movies yeah and these People are geniuses. Yeah, they are. And that tendency, that possibility inherent in him went towards crime Mm -hmm. as opposed to a lawful method of, well, anything else. Literally anything else. (laughs) So, and, and again, it's the vocation of the parent because the parent is the one who is used to the weapons of spiritual warfare, is strong in moral power and is mature of will. Yeah. Supposedly. Right. That's been the assumption all along is that is that we are dealing with parents who are these type of people. So the next section we move into is the direction of lines of habit. Well, this is her very clear. Here's my analogy. Mm-hmm. It's a locomotive or a train. And it is perhaps the most suggestive and helpful for the educator. So just as, uh, just as it is on the whole easier for the locomotive to pursue its way on the rails than to take a disastrous run off of them, so it is easier for the child to follow lines of habit, carefully laid down, than to run off those lines at his peril. Anyone else here watch Thomas? 
Do-do-do-do-do. The yeah. old ones are available on Amazon Prime. That is true. Whoever needed to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thomas is available. The old ones. The, I think the new ones are too, but I would go with the old ones. His eyes are really weird in the old ones. Uh, they, they're, yeah, they're, they're awkward. It's not quite stop motion, but it's also not animated. Yeah. I mean, that's eye, what, that's what I make the kids watch. The eyes, I don't know, it's weird. I think it's actual live action footage. I don't to know. To be honest. And I think they just used remote control trains and I think filmed so. them. I think so. It's pretty awesome. It follows that this business of laying down the lines towards unexplored country of the child's future is a very serious and responsible one for the parent. Again, it's the vocation of the parent. It's the business of laying down the lines. And it rests with the parent. And to lay them down so invitingly and smooth and easy that the little traveler just, you know, plows right ahead without considering why, why am I going that way? And you lay them down before they start asking the questions of why. And by the time they start asking why, they're already ruts in the ground. Well, and at that point, you can answer the question why. Why do we do it this way? Well, we do it that way because that's the best way to do it. Yeah. And then she pulls in a literary technique that she did in Parents and Children. She starts questioning herself. Mm -hmm. She argues against habits or, you know, gives the argue, an argument against it. Right. What about taking away the child's free will? You're making him a mere automation of this excessive culture. Or, I'm sorry, you're and make a mere automation of him by this excessive culture. So she says, yeah. But you're, we're all creatures of habits anyway. He's gonna, he is the mere automation that you described. Right. As for him becoming a child of habit or a creature of habit. It's not left with the parent to determine. Yeah. We are all creatures of habit. We think our accustomed thoughts, make our usual small talk, go through the trivial round of the common tasks without any self-determining effort of will at all. We we are creatures of habit. Yeah. Even as adults. Yes, we have free will, but so does the child. Mm -hmm. Which this, uh, she she brings up the operation of the bath and the table and how the perpetually repeated perpetually repeated effort of decision would wear us out and i have been changing our ways of living to be more along natural lines to be more you know make food from scratch more of this that and the other and it is tiring <laughs> that does take all my energy it's exhausting i right now i'm i'm not in a good place with meal planning at all and I just, I don't have anything in place because I'm not sure where I want to go. And so I end up with just fast and easy, not necessarily the greatest for you meals at dinner time. Right. Which is frustrating, but at the same time, it's exhausting to make those decisions. Mm -hmm. And when we, when we tried that Whole30, that was what we were doing. It, that, made, it made life really easy. I found I found that anytime I've I've done a a relatively restrictive diet, I honestly enjoy I, I enjoy it because I don't have to think about which foods I'm eating because I have such a limited choice. Mm -hmm. Like, well, am I eating chicken or beef? Well, I guess we'll eat chicken. 
because mm-hmm. we ate beef last night and I'll make chicken now. So it yeah, it it's much easier when you don't have to make those choices. So that that's that's something that I I resonated with me. Yeah. Well, she goes on she goes I mean she she fights uh, she continues talking about that for a little bit um about how how we are creatures of of habit. We do also have free will. And things will come up that will compel an act of will. Right. And they'll happen to our kids just like they happen to us. We can't save them from it, nor should we. But what we can do to for them is to secure that they have habits which will shall lead them in the ways of order, propriety, and virtue, instead of leaving their wheel of life to make ugly ruts in miry places. Again, setting out that rail so that they're on the rail mm-hmm. as much as possible. So, yeah, well, and it, it's something you talk about in sports too that you want to create muscle memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Jordan used to say that, or the saying has always been that practice makes perfect. Well, Michael Jordan corrected that and said, perfect practice makes perfect. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that you do the same thing over and over enough times and your body just knows how to do it. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that later. That's true. But, you know, what the, the the thing that made me think about this is you get you get a basketball player who knows how to shoot a jump shot. And if they've practiced those mechanics, then their body can be in all kinds of weird positions. And when they shoot that shot, the mechanics are still correct and the ball goes in. And you think about great shooters in basketball and they all do that. They all shoot and whenever the ball goes up, it doesn't matter what their body position is. As it goes up, it's a good shot. Mm-hmm. If that muscle memory is good, then when things come up that cause you to do something outside of the norm, you still you still default to those good habits. And that's what separates the great players from the, the, the good players. Mm-hmm. They've worked that muscle that long. Right. It's there. So then she moves on to the fact that habit's powerful even where the will decides. She says, and then even in these emergencies and every sudden difficulty and temptation that requires an act of will, why conduct is still an, is still apt to run on the lines of the familiar habit. Just like I was just saying. I got ahead of myself, didn't I? Probably. By like one sentence. <laughs> nice. She says, the, the boy who has been accustomed to find both profit and pleasure in his books does not fall easily into idle ways because he's attracted by an idle schoolfellow. The girl who has been carefully trained to speak the exact truth, 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 to speak the exact truth, simply does not think of a lie as a ready means of getting out of a scrape, cowardly as she may be. But this doctrine of habit, is it? Oh, that's a question. I'm really good at reading today. Gosh. Well, and she's arguing against again. She's she's being that other person that says, well, why should this even matter? Yeah. Why why should the act of doing why should the doing of an act or the thinking of a thought a score of times in unbroken succession? Why should that have any tendency to make the doing of that act or thinking part of the child's nature? Why? why? She said, well, let me tell you. And that's where we get into the next chapter. Right. The work of Dr. Carpenter and the physiology of habit. 
She says, oh, hey, by the way, this is a really interesting book. I enjoyed it. So you should read it. I have not read it. I don't <laughs> think I will read it. Partially because it really is out of date. And I did look up a little bit. We go into the actual physiology. Physiology? Psych- it goes actually into the science of the brain. And from the little bit I was doing, what she's talking about as far as tissues in the brain is a little bit outdated. And by a little bit, are you exaggerating? Kind of. It seems like this is another one of those instances where the observations are correct, but the science is wrong. It's the neurons versus the glial cells. The glia cells are in the brain. The neurons at birth, your brain has almost all the neurons you will ever have. By the age of two, your brain's about 80% of its adult size. So there's a lot of brain there. No wonder children have such big old heads. Yeah. And so how does the brain continue to grow if the brain already has the neurons? And the answer is the glial cells. And the glial cells help. They're the ones that help the neurons do their jobs. And they're the ones that get reborn and replenished. Interesting. Yeah. So again, questionable science, but the observation seems to hold true. Yeah. Neurogenesis is the term, if you want to do in your own research. And neurogenesis with stem cells is promising because maybe it can treat neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Oh, that would be. So if you can engineer stem cells to grow into neurons, maybe you can repair or prevent damages caused by these diseases. Right, because of reasons. Okay. Anyway. (laughs) Questionable science, but seemingly good observations is what we're going to be talking about for the rest of this chapter now. So she gets into growing tissues form themselves to modes of action. And again, questionable science, but I think the I think the observation is good. She says even those modes of muscular action which we regard as natural to us, walking, standing erect, they're in reality the result of a laborious education, quite as much so as many modes of action which we consciously acquire, such as writing and dancing, but those acquired modes become perfectly easy and natural to the person who works at them. Right. She says it's the law of the constantly growing tissues that they should form themselves according to the modes of action required of them. Again, forming that muscle memory. Mm -hmm. You do something long enough and you don't have to think about doing it. And then that action is is performed by the faintest suggestion from the outside. So the joints and the muscles of the hand accommodate themselves to needing to hold and guide a pen. Mm -hmm. And it's not that the... Observe, it is not that the child learns with his mind how to use his pen in spite of his muscles, but that his muscles grow to take the form according to what's required of them. It reminded, as I was reading this, it reminded me of a a short documentary that I watched about a gal who was born with no arms. And she was, I think she was in her 20s at the time they were doing this video. And she did everything with her feet. And her toes had grown such that she had almost opposable thumbs as toes. (laughs) And she did everything. She would dress herself. She would make her food. She would drive a car, put her seatbelt on. I think I saw her put on makeup, if I 
right? Like in the same one. It was ridiculous. And her and her hips and knees and ankles were were deformed such that she could easily reach her head with her feet. Like she could do her hair with her feet. It was insane. <laughs> but but the muscular or the the skeleton I don't know the musculoskeletal whatever the 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 musculoskeletal system. Yeah, that it was it was so different than a a normal healthy human being. But she she wasn't born with hips that were disjointed or or out of place like that. That's just how she grew. Well, let's pull it back to Charlotte Mason. She says the muscles and joints have not merely conformed themselves to new uses but to grow to an, a modified pattern. And this growth and adaptation takes place with the greatest faculty in early youth. Yeah. So, so I, because yeah. she's been doing this forever, it grew to be that way. It grew to be that way. And so this gal can can live her life without any arms because she's got legs. <laughs> and she knows how to use them. Thank you, ZZ Top. <laughs> so... <laughs> So if you try to teach a plowman to write who is not accustomed to it in any way, shape, or form, it takes enormous physical difficulty because those muscles aren't used to it. Yeah. But if you take somebody who writing and, excuse me, academic book work is all that they've done, put them on the plow. It's a joke. They're going to be hurting. It reminds me of the uh, the story behind the the praying hands picture. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where two artist friends decided that they were going to work together, and they decided one was going to go to school and the other one was going to work for however many years, five, ten, seven, I don't know. But the So the one was going to school and the other one was working, and he was working manual labor because, well, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. And, and his hands over the years grew to be strong and powerful and gnarly, but also not delicate. And so the tragedy of the story is that the 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 artist who was working could no longer be an artist because he didn't have the dexterous fingers for it, but he had really cool looking hands. <laughs> so so his buddy painted them in the in the praying hands pose, and it's a beautiful picture. Mm-hmm. But but it's the same idea where you know teaching the plowman to write. Mm-hmm. Well, this guy went the other way. He was an artist taught his hands to do physical labor, and now he couldn't do art. Well, and we talk, start talking about uh, you have to keep watch over the habits of enunciation, the carriage of the head, and so forth, which the child is forming hour by hour. The poke, the stoop, the indistinct utterance is not a mere trick to be left off at pleasure for when he's older and knows better, but it's all the time growing into him becoming a part of himself because it's registered in the very substance of his spinal cord, which is why my mother always told me when I was growing up that I needed to stand up straight. Because if you Because it's important. Yeah, it, it is. It's very important. And it's a hard, it's almost an impossible habit to pick up mm-hmm. because literally your spine deforms. Well, and, and in the next section, she says, the physical consequences of bad habits of this sort are so evident... And that we cannot blind ourselves to the relation of cause and effect. If the child stands on one foot, pushing up one shoulder, she'll end up with a curvature of the spine. What we are less prepared to admit is that the habits which do not appear in it to be in any sense physical, 
a flippant habit, a truthful habit, an orderly habit, should also make their mark upon a physical tissue, and that it is to this physical effect the enormous strength of habit is probably due. This is the crisis of mental health that we have today. This the the yeah, fact that's that true. the fact that physical health is visible, you can see it, you can see that you have a broken arm. And the fact that mental health is invisible, you don't see that your brain is sick. Yeah. And and we're not ready to admit it. We're not ready to say this needs help. I have a problem. And I just uh I just listened to a two-part uh podcast about postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety and the effect of your mental state from your birth uh, uh when you're giving birth and when how how you see yourself and how you see that afterwards how much the mental affects the physical mm-hmm. and and just the the stereotypes and the stigma surrounding mental health is deplorable yeah it is and I have not personally walked through mental health issues in our medical arena in the United States. I I have not had to do that. Right. But I know people who have, and I have read books from personal friends who have, and it is heart-wrenching. Yeah. The hoops that they have to jump through just to be listened to, just to be believed that something is wrong. Right. And that's that's just sorry. I'll get off that that soapbox, but <laughs> no, but it's a big deal. It is huge because it it matters just as much as if the child's standing on one foot and making her spine be curved, right? And you care so much about that. You say, stand up straight, stand on two feet, and and you take care of it right there. But the things that cause mental uh, issues aren't addressed. Yeah, no, it's a it's a very important thing. Well, and I know we're we're starting to see a bit more of that. I know, again, I'm going to bring up basketball because I'm an NBA guy. Um, but there's been there have been any number of players recently who have talked out about having and dealing with mental issues, be it depression or uh, whatever else. Those people are starting to stand up and talk about how it is a big deal. And several, several prominent players have stopped playing because of mental issues. Uh, Larry Sanders being the chief among them. Uh, you know, great, promising player, had played for a couple years. I think he played for the Milwaukee Bucks. And, and he, just, he just stopped just out of the blue. I think it was midseason. After he had gotten a big contract, and I think he only played like one or two years of a five-year contract. And he's just like, no, I'm done. I've got to go figure things out. Mm-hmm. But so many players are are in the same boat but aren't willing to stop. So I, in the NBA, it's starting to become a thing that people are talking about. And the hope is that we get the right people talking about these things and it it becomes a thing where the conversation becomes more comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so we can actually have the conversation. Yeah. So I think we're getting there. But also, we as parents need to be looking for these things in our children. Yeah. And we need to correct their mental 
their mental habits and create good lines of habit for them mentally so they grow correctly. Yeah. I don't I don't know where to go from there. <laughs> Sorry. I don't really know. And and honestly for the next couple pages I really didn't have anything highlighted because she just keeps on harping on the same thing. Well, this part this next section persistent trains of thought I thought was again very appropriate. The cares of the mis- the mistress of the house when her thoughts wander she thinks about the house. When mm-hmm. my thoughts wander I think about what do I need to get at the grocery store? What's on my list of things to pick up if I see it at Goodwill? Uh, oh, I need to do my taxes. Oh, I need to do... Which is why it always amazes me when you come home with random things that are good for the house. <laughs> like the uh, the the vegetable slicer thingy I used. I got a spiralizer. Yeah, the spiralizer that I used tonight for, for cutting up a zucchini. You just came home with it randomly. Yeah, I did. I would never come home randomly with a spiralizer. But my father used to do the same thing with his woodworking shop. Yeah. I remember he came home one time with a table saw. I was like, where <laughs> where did you get a table saw? It's like, well, it was a garage sale. I stopped at it and they had a table saw, so I bought it. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I needed one. Well, okay. And again, the woodworker is thinking about his wood uh-huh. shop when he goes to the store. Yeah. I, the it, mother's on the children. Painters on the pictures, poets on the poems. Do, yeah. you, do you think about uh, engineering? I it, it varies what I think about. I think about engineering. If, so if I have a problem that, that is persistent, yes, I definitely will dwell on that for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. I find myself thinking more about this, the, the water and shade, than mm-hmm. anything else. Um, but I also think about video games and sports and other other such things those of the anxious head of the house on money cares yeah Business actually cares. that's that's true I, yep yep <laughs> hey she's right again uh, darn you charlotte mason <sighs> the thing that she goes to though they beat 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 into the channels they until the poor man loses his reason simply because he cannot get those thoughts out of that one channel in that substance of the brain And that way madness lies is a quote from King Lear. And I I read a little synopsis about it and said, okay, so he has just finished being betrayed by his daughters. Like he gave them all the money and the obvious assumption was that they would take care of him. And they kicked him out in the storm. So he has just finished telling the audience how he's been wronged and how each of them has failed him. And then he says, but no, I'm not going to go that way because because that way madness lies. But he's already gone that way. You have seen his descent into madness. And the fact that he's turning around and denying that that's madness, he's denying that he's going mad. Oh, interesting. And what's even more interesting is as I was Googling this, there's a documentary called That Way Madness Lies that came out in 2018 about a family dealing with a man going into schizophrenia. Oh. At an an older age, he's the the man is 50. And so he he is convinced that he's not crazy. So he starts an iPhone diary and it becomes not a proof that he is mentally stable, but a diary of somebody going into schizophrenia. I have not watched the movie. I watched the trailer and read the synopsis. Mm-hmm. But it was it's fascinating hmm. how how 
staying in that rut too long does mess up your brain also. I.e. it's important to do things other than that one thing you're doing. Yeah. So the mother also needs to do other things. Otherwise you get consumed by it. Right. So you have to go, I don't, I, I don't know. I, what do you Again, have to mental do? mental health. Back to mental health. Right. You, you have to get out of yourself. You have to get out of that one train of thought and, and take care of yourself mentally, mm-hmm. which if you don't know, then you can't. Right. And that's, that's where mental health gets me is, you know, I'm my own self and I, I can't see if I'm mentally going off the rails. Right. So I have, I crash. I have heard several people say, that we have doctors and we go in for a yearly checkup. I've heard people talk about psychologists. And going in for a yearly mental yeah, checkup? going in for a yearly mental checkup and sitting down and talking with a professional and having them pick through your brain and see how you're doing and where you're at. But that that's one side of that relationship, or that, that's one side of how you can how you can have that helped. The other side is to have, have friends and have a, have a, I don't know, a, an accountability group, be that through church, be that through homeschool friends, be that wherever you can find it to have someone who's there to listen to you talk and gripe and complain and whatever about your life and all the things about it, because that person will be able to call you out on these things about, mm-hmm. Hey, you're dwelling on this way too much. Stop it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's an important relationship to have and to nurture is to have someone be able to speak truth into your life about your life because they're on the outside looking in. And a lot of times the person outside can see that things are not what they should be. Mm-hmm. So it's important to have friends. It's important to not try and be on an island. Yeah. Contrary to what Simon and Garfunkel said. Well, and I, I, I think we dealt with that a lot when the twins were little. Oh, we totally did. And it is what it is. It has happened. It's in the past now. But it's probably still affecting us. Oh, I'm sure it is. So. We, we definitely, we had issues and we didn't necessarily have those relationships around us for for having people speak truth into our lives. Lives. Live. Lives. Or, or the mental capacity to find the professional help that we needed. Yeah. And that's that's something that the the gals I was listening to talked about is it takes time and effort to find a therapist, to find somebody yeah. to talk to. And there were example after example of women who have gone to their doctor and said, I think something's wrong. And then be like, oh, it's just, just normal. Be like, no, I, I really think something's wrong. And they don't fully express everything that's wrong for a number of reasons. They're afraid. Mm-hmm. And they're afraid that they might have their children taken away from them because of their thoughts. Right. And they know that they'll be laughed at and not believed. So you got to find the right person. And and while you're in the midst of that, you can't do that. No. And so, I don't know. Which is why midwives. Let me put that on my checklist of we need to go find ourselves some psychiatrists. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. Make you go to two doctors, though. Oh, gosh. Yeah, because I already go to that first one so many times. All right, so incessant regeneration of brain tissue. This gets back to the questionable science, I think, that we started with a while ago. Yeah, the the different types of brain cells. Because she says, you know, 
I wonder what age the child no longer has any part left of that brain with which he was born. And that's the that's the line that had got me started looking into this. Kind of like a snake that loses its skin. Well, I mean, honestly, even your muscles, your physical muscles are not the same muscles that you had when you were two. That's true. But that's different in the brain. The neurons are the same neurons. Interesting. That, that, that's where I, I started looking into the science of it and where it, it actually is physically the same hmm. brain. Although, given everything else we know about the body, that that's not a crazy thing to think. And back to it, there's those there's two types of cells, and one of them does that. Interesting. The, the glia cells. Interesting. The ones that support the neurons. Because science. Yeah. We need to get a brain scientist on. Wouldn't that be cool? Be like, here, read these. I'm giving the specific parts of the book. <laughs> be like, and then let's talk. Let's, let's talk air. about how this actually works. And please talk to me like I'm a moron, because I kind of am. In this situation. In lots of situations. <laughs> yeah. But definitely this one specifically. The cerebrum of man grows to the modes of thought in which it is habitually exercised. We, selves, we find ourselves automatically... This is Dr. Carpenter speaking now. We found ourselves automatically prompted to think, feel, or do what we have been before accustomed to think, feel, or do under like circumstances without any consciously formed purpose or anticipation of the results. And, i.e., habits. And it leaves an impression on the brain. And then Huxley put it another way. Who was Huxley? Yeah, my my problem with all of these, one, it's not actually Charlotte Mason talking. He but, was an English biologist. But two, she seems to just be repeating everything she's already said. Well, having them repeat it for her. Sure. So she's she's going to the well of someone else to say, hey, it's not just my thoughts. Other people also think this. Another thing is uh, smell. Smells bring back... She talked about this at another point. Smells bring back memories in such a way that you can tell that that has been indelibly imprinted on the brain, connected to an event or a circumstance. Right. Smell is definitely the strongest uh, sense we have in terms of connectivity to your memory. Mm -hmm. So what follows? Why? That the actual confirmation of the child's brain depends upon the habits which the parents permit or encourage and that the habits of the child produce the character of the man. Because certain hab mental habitudes once set up their nature is to go on forever unless they be displaced by other habits. And again, this goes back to you can't just let it fly because they're young. Right. Every day, every hour, the parents are either passively or actively forming those habits in their children upon which, more than anything else, future character and conduct depend. Well, and so then that, that brings up the very next thing. She says, and here comes in the consideration of outside influence. Nine times out of ten, we begin to do a thing because we see someone else do it. Mm -hmm. We go on doing it, and there's the habit. Voila! It, it is so easy for ourselves to take up a new habit. It is tenfold as easy for children. Mm -hmm. And this is the real difficulty. 
It's necessary that the mother be always on the alert to nip in the bud the bad habit her children may be in the act of picking up from servants or from other children. Well, we don't have to worry about the servants part. We're good there. So we well, got we, well unless unless you send your kids to some form of schooling. True. I guess servants in the terms of you know the cook, the maid, the the butler. Yeah, the, no, we're good. We don't have servants. Oh, so we've got fifty percent taken care of here. Done. <laughs> Again, who do you surround yourself with? And Proverbs has a lot to say about that. It does. It does. We, like she said, we we do. We we get a lot from the people around us. Or bring up another basketball analogy here. Uh, <gasps> uh, it's something I just heard uh, Bill Simmons talking about with LeBron, uh, LeBron James, who's arguably the best player. Or he is the best player Currently. over the last ten years arguably one of the best players ever take your beef with me i don't really care um but he was those arguments happen a lot yeah have fun um he was (laughs) he was a good player right out of high school he was a great player he was one of the best in the league like right away but he was never great like he he had he never achieved greatness he was always just really 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 good Mm -hmm. until he lost to a team who was who was disciplined. He was better than all of those players physically and skill wise, but they were disciplined and he lost to them because of it. And then he went to the Olympics with Kobe Bryant, um, who was one of the best players ever. And, and LeBron saw Kobe's work ethic and, and the effort that Kobe put into the game. And LeBron started emulating that and went from being a really good player to being great and he went he went on that next either that next season or the season after that to go to six straight NBA finals that that's that a, he carried his teams to it was insane six seven I, I at this point i don't even remember the number it's it's ridiculous mm-hmm. so it the the people you surround yourself with and the people you choose as mentors are hugely important and the same, the same is true for our children. The people that we surround our children with is hugely important. Mm-hmm. And that's where we as parents need to be very picky with the people that surround our children. I was at a homeschool conference on Saturday. And uh, the question was asked to the panel of speakers, you know, what advice would you give yourself five years ago based on what you know now? And one of the people said, I would find mentors for my children earlier so that when they hit 11, 12, 13, those mentors are already in place. Those other adults already surround them that I know and I trust, and I'm not having to fabricate them out of thin air when they turn 14, 15 and decide they don't want to listen to me. Right. We have to surround our children with with good influences, be that in the church, be that uh, coaches, be that neighbors, be that whoever it may be. Mm-hmm. It's hugely important. We also see statistically that the number one indicator of success is having a two-parent household, a, a mom and dad two-parent household. And the number one indicator of of not succeeding in life is having no no positive male influence in your life. And they've they've even looked at it in that, all right, so if you're living on a block 
that every every house except one is a single mother, but in one house on the block, there is a solid father, then every kid on that street is going to benefit from that one father. Interesting. Because there there is, that will have an effect because that father will play a role in everyone's lives because everyone's going to gravitate to him. Some friends recently began working with the organization Fathers in the Field to to help with that issue. So, good organization. Fathers in the Field. I've never heard of it, but very cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, I feel like we've rambled on long enough about these oh, things. Oh, I've got something about a dude. But is it the dude? Where His did dudeness? I get that dude from? El Duderino. So she has a quote here, and I thought it was from Huxley, but she moved on. It's under the intellectual and moral education on page 117. So she quoted Huxley, and she moved on to another guy named Ezra Mundy Hunt, who is actually a doctor. So Interesting. And yeah, you got all that out. Why are you peeing on my carpet, man? Have you ever watched The Big Lebowski? No. What's wrong with you? No. Nothing. Yeah, and you haven't rectified that yet. The Dude. It's all right. It's not actually that good of a movie, but it's one of those cultural icons that... In your culture, not mine. No, no. It is an American culture icon. The Dude Abides. Whatever. So next week we will actually be talking with um well, that's right, we have a guest. Mackenzie Winkler about the next couple of chapters. The next oh that's true. Our, so and she is at Three of the Lakehorns Academy. That sounds right. She's on Instagram, right? Yes. Let me look her up real quick. You're right. It is Mackenzie Winkler and it is at Three Little Acorns Academy. All one word. So yeah, we'll be talking with her next week. That's going to be exciting. I know we had a lot of fun with Kara from at Letters to Lyra, also on Instagram. And so I'm excited to have more conversations with other people who know things. So stay stay tuned for that. It's going to be fun. Yeah. And, and more on habits. Yeah. And last but not least, if you like what we're doing, let other people around you know. Tell someone about us that hasn't heard about us. Because that's the best way for us to have more people listen to us. So let, let someone else know. Also, if you have any ideas about who you think might be good for us to have on the show, if you think that there would be someone good to for us to talk about, about lessons or habits, please we, let us we know. Won't, we won't talk about them. We'll talk with them about the topic. No, no. We'll just talk about them behind their backs. We'll have In them on the show them. and have them turn around. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be on the screen beside us turning around. Yeah, they'll we'll be we'll be talking behind their backs with them. It'll work. In front. Will we just turn the computer screen around <laughs> so that they're back? Well, I mean, us? they can they can turn around. We'll I don't know. We'll figure it out. One way or the other, we'll talk behind their backs. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, if you have anyone that you think that that would be good to have on our show. Uh, let us know. Uh, we'll we'll reach out to them and see if they'll talk to us. <laughs> yes. Cool. Thank you for listening. Join the conversation with us 
on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Thank you.